0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. I am super excited to be able to welcome Joe Toscano back on the show. For those of you who remembered, he spent some time with us last year, and he's the author, a keynote speaker, um, a founder, CEO, featured expert of Social Dilemma, et cetera, et cetera. And he is back here with us today to talk about his latest app. So welcome back to the show, Joe.
1: Thank you for having me. Very excited to be back. Love talking with you.
0: This is fun. And it's a topic that is so timely. I think we said the same thing last time too. But you, you have a way of timing things perfectly. Um, so give us an update. What's been happening with you the last nine months? I heard you have a new product that came out. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, yes we do. I'm very excited about it. Uh the big thing that I've been exploring uh, is anybody who knows me is is privacy at large, right? That's my big thing. I talk about all the time. But the thing that we've been focusing on recently within our work at DataGrade is the relationship among vendors. And it's been super interesting because I think for so long we've focused privacy on the individual company itself. So as long as the company does X, Y, and Z, as long as they get certain legal documents put in place, everything kind of just goes out the window in, in, in many senses, right? Um, once that data leaves the wall guard, as long as there's a contract between the company and whoever is sharing it with, uh, it's not a lot of things that can backfire as long as they have the, the right legal guards in place. We've been exploring what do those relationships actually look like? How widespread is it? when i share data with one company how far does it go on a second layer and a third layer and beyond you know what is that risk because privacy in many senses is really about exposure of course it's controls it's having the right to request deletion of your data control access to it opt out all those things but also how can you rationally understand your desire to do any one of those things, if you, if you don't actually understand the potential impact it could have on your life, and I think that's where our work can come in and help people give benchmarks and more generalized understanding of what is privacy actually and what does it mean for my life.
0: So let's go into that a little bit. Um, you talk about this new product is about data and relationship between vendors going from one to the other. And the mm-hmm. last time when I was in the app, there were quite a few companies already that you have in, in the database. I don't think you did everything manually. <laughs> I
1: don't think you no, um, But
0: definitely how not. did you grow that database exponentially and so quickly too? It was <laughs> astounding.
1: Yeah, well, that's kind of our secret sauce. So I can't get into the depths of it. But it is interesting when you start to explore vendor relationships, how fast things can grow, you know, because what we found, like I said, is it's it's exponential on the scale of the stuff's being shared, really. You dig into one company, you realize they're using all these companies. You dig into those companies, you realize they're using all these other companies. And it just explodes. You know, we found... Uh, On average, what we're seeing, again, this is just average. It's not like the highs and the lows. We're seeing one company come in and have an average of about 120, 130 vendors. That next level, their vendors, vendors of uniques turns into somewhere between four and 500. So, uh, you know, if I sat here and mapped out the full thing, you go layer by layer, you're getting into exponential growth in terms of my data that I share with this one company potentially reaches all these others. And we are mapping that. That's how we built it. We really thought about these relationships. We figured out how to dig into it in an automated fashion, and we have mapped uh, now. Well, geez. So last time we spoke, I want to say, I don't know, was it October, November? area? We had maybe 1,600 companies in our database, something like that. And as of the end of this month, we should have near 30,000. And it's really picked up over the last two months. We went from about two, 3,000 to that 30,000 because we figured out how to make these automations click in place. And if we continue this growth, we should be in the hundreds of thousands by middle or end of the year for sure. So... That's what we're hoping to do. We want to map all those relationships. We want to understand the root system of the internet. You know, what is the transactional risk between data exchanges? Nobody's really dug into that, right? There's there's all these tools that will automate your data inventory mapping that will help you do automated DSARs, you know, that will identify your PII, all those things. But again, you step back, you look into all the tools that are out there. How many of them do you know that say, Hey, I can tell you who your vendors are, who your vendors' vendors are, and all the way down the chain so you can assess the full supply chain of data on the internet.
0: Supply chain of data. That's I'm going to remember that for a while cuz I'm sitting here visualizing what you're talking about and it reminded me the other day um I was booking a reservation online (laughs) for a restaurant and unbeknownst to me, things started popping up in my email. And when I was Mm. doing something on one device, something else appeared on the other device. And Mm. it's it's kind of that the little things, right? Really subtle thing. But then when you sit Mm. down and think about it, like, wait a minute, these two were not supposed to be talking.
1: What is well not as far as you know. Exactly uh, as as these, right. You're like I signed up for this service, not that one.
0: Exactly, and 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 your product reminded me of that, and and mm. I remember sitting there thinking, okay, so the only one way I could be safe is perhaps go find, I don't know, an island in the middle of nowhere with <laughs> no connectivity. But but right, like <sighs> as a consumer, uh. every time when you sign up for something for a service, mm. you go through pages of T's and C's and I guarantee you most people do not read that. Is is there any way at all that small businesses or or people can actually protect themselves or we're just pretty much like, yeah, no, we're done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate that very much. Let me, let me help kind of walk through a few different layers of that there. So uh, I also had plenty of similar experience. I had a very recent one to where uh, I actually signed up for Tableau, because I was trying to do some data visualization for our work. <clears throat> and when I signed up for Tableau, thought no problem of it, really, I know people use it, great product, all these things. All of a sudden, I started getting messages from Salesforce. Now, if you don't know, that Tableau is owned by Salesforce, right? Um, so I signed up for Tableau, but I got all the Salesforce, right? And I actually started to get emails from them. I assume all the automated stuff, I said, in my email back to them, I said, please unsubscribe me from this. I do not want to be a part of this. Well, day later, I got another email, got a follow up from Salesforce. I got phone calls from Salesforce. I got multiple calls from Salesforce in the same day. Another email follows up. I say, unsubscribe me, please. I already wrote you about this. Kept coming. So I've been documenting, I'm gonna write a whole Forbes post about like when does marketing become harassment. But um yeah, I mean, I have no rights, not in California. Nothing I can do about it. I'm not, you know, Colorado. I have a property here, but like, you know, law doesn't kick until July. Uh, A lot of us don't have rights. We don't have a way to take action. And that's kind of unnerving. You know, Um, one thing I do want to point out, if people haven't heard of this before, as of January 12th of this year, the Court of Justice in the EU just just ruled that a company can no longer, when you make a subject access request and you want to know like, what data do you have on me? who has access, no longer can a company say, we share with just these categories of partners. They now have to disclose all their vendors. That's huge. That's a brand new thing within the last few months. I'm sure it won't really get a lot of action for a while because there's so much already whirlwind around for everybody. But you know, it's stuff like that that I hope that our tool can help people untangle because I can't tell you how many privacy professionals I've spoken to who their biggest pain in the tail is when they have to go reach out to 200 some vendors and manage all those relationships and you know some of them they got to reach out to microsoft and microsoft's like well i'm not going to respond to a hundred thousand different vendors right so they have one template that they try to send out to everybody but ultimately there's a lot of unique relationships right and so then that brings it down to the question you had before which is like okay what can people do about it what can small businesses do about it Well, for people, uh, the reason we built our tool the way we did, we're actually really focused on helping serve businesses, especially small businesses, because yet like a small business doesn't have all the custom code like a, a Google or an Amazon or someone may have. They have a lot of third party vendors and those are more standardized. So it's not that we can just template those blank slate, but there's a lot of templatization that happens in SMB. Uh So you can think of what we're building if it was like a data accounting software, let's call it kind of something like that. Uh, what is in the market right now is like the net suites of data, right? It's big enterprise level, lots of details, lots of different controls and automations that these big corporates need. What I am building, what we are building at data grade is more like the QuickBooks for data. It's the place for SMBs, you know, small, mid sized companies to come in, manage this for an affordable rate, get some help from fractional DPOs if they need it. But ultimately, it's for the people who. Uh, you know, they're going through a merger. They need to get the stuff done so they can get acquired. They are going prepared for, well, IPOs are the larger, right? But like preparing for an IPO, you want to do some due diligence on your data, where it is, who your vendors are, all those things. Um, it's, it's for companies who are just trying to partner with bigger organizations, even, right? Like I have an org in Colorado that does travel logistics. They want to integrate with Marriott, Hyatt. They're not huge. But they have to then get compliant to this. So the threshold that we all assume is like, okay, nobody's going to buy compliance or privacy tools unless they reach a certain threshold. That's kind of disappeared. And I think it's only going to get worse over time. So I think there's a huge market for this. But then on the other side, how we built it is consumers can also come in and look up the tools that they are using every day, because ultimately what we've done is we've indexed risk against thousands of companies. And it doesn't matter whether a consumer wants to look it up or a business wants to look it up. You obviously have two different interfaces for those profiles, but a consumer, you know, they get a very truncated version of it so they can understand and they get, of course, like the title of our product, they get a data grade or the companies that they're using, making it super accessible so you don't have to read all those T's and C's, all the privacy policy if you don't want to. we Of course, we have that all documented in LinkedIn if they want to, but we summarize it in a simple manner, a truncated version that lets you glance at it and build your overall risk profile based on what you're using. For the business, it's much more detailed. We help them with their vendor management. We help them uh, manage those relationships. We help them with uh, making what would normally be let's say three to six months, sometimes longer, and reducing it to somewhere closer to four to eight weeks. You know, and and we're never going to be a company that fully automates this process. Personally, I don't believe that's possible. I don't feel it's responsible for me to go out and tell you I can automate and end your compliance work. I believe we still need and will forever need humans in the loop, at least at the last 10 or 20%, to sign off and give the wedding and validate that what has been here? what has been aggregated is true. Um, and, and there's so many nuances to businesses. You know, it's just it's really hard. So so that's what we've built. And I'm very excited uh, to release it both to public and to businesses, uh, because ultimately what we want to do with all of this actually is not compliance work. We want to increase data literacy. We want to make uh, this work more efficient within companies so they don't have to, for example, you know, you do this work with legal. It gets passed on to your CISO. It sits within those offices. The chief marketing officer wants to go run uh, some new advertising campaign. They got to go to legal to figure out how they can use it. With our system, with our documentation, you can add collaborators. We make it as collaborative as a Google Doc to where you can come in and build with each other. And those who are responsible for each part can build their parts rather than being pigeonholed back and forth between legal CISO like that. And then companies can move faster, too. We can share this out. That documentation can go to the senior marketing officers and and they can work without having to go back and forth with legal. You know, stuff like that, that that's what we want to do. It's not about compliance for us. It's about data literacy. It's about making this transition easier for everyone. And it's about adding value through education.
0: Right. And and at the end of the day is to make the space safer and more transparent for more people, mm-hmm. which which is important because I feel like right now it's the wild, wild west. I was not aware yeah. of the um, EU rule that you just mentioned. So that's good to know. Um, mm-hmm. I almost feel like maybe I'm living in the wrong jurisdiction. <laughs> maybe I should just move continent um, <laughs> at this rate. It might yeah. be safer. Um, I, I wanna ask you this. So in the process, of what you've gone through the last half year, that whole journey of building and expanding what you're doing, and focusing on the small business and the consumer needs and all of that—had you always had that in mind, like a vision of this is this is how I want to go about doing it, or did anything take you by surprise? I'm really really curious because this is this is a new oh no. <laughs> area, right? I I yeah. don't think I've ever come across anyone doing this. You are the first one. Um, so yeah. w-
1: what are some of the things that you found out? I I did not start with this, no, absolutely not. This is my probably third or fourth iteration. It's my second company. Um, previous company was focused on building an automated way to make better terms of service, better compliance uh, for privacy policy, stuff like that. Um, what I learned is that people, <laughs> people on both sides don't really want better legal agreements. The the end user doesn't want it because they don't. They just, period, don't want it. Period. Right? Like they just don't want it at all. Uh, they want it to be very clear and just intuitive. That like, okay, I'm going to sign up and they're just going to do whatever my brain says they should do with it. You know. Um, the other side of it is that the businesses don't want things to necessarily be more transparent. So it's a really bad business model because nobody wants to buy it, but like the impact, your heart's behind it. And you're like, oh, I wish it would work, right? Um, what I did learn though from that was that there are a lot of companies that need assessments of their operations. There are a lot of companies who fumble over these assessments, who maybe sign up for a, one of these current market uh, tools out there and they're spending excessive amounts of money. They feel like it's a big burden. Uh, it's just made privacy unapproachable Um, and so what I wanted to do was take my UX background that was where I you know made my name and apply it to one of the most nuanced and probably dense topics that I could put it to I suppose sometimes I tell people what I do with privacy and design is kind of like like cleaning toilets I really feel like I'm a janitor I'm just like shining up like a really part of life that nobody really wants to pay attention to but everybody has to because we all sit on it you know
0: No, 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 no that, that, that is not the visual I was going for, but okay, <laughs> I was thinking more like, I don't know, something more pleasant, like um, traces of probiotics. I don't, okay, my brain, I, I cannot take that visual out of my
1: hand. This is not That's that why. <laughs> I, I probably could have made it prettier, but now you're going to remember it. Oh my
0: God. <laughs> no, what, what was wrong with the supply chain of data? That was perfect until now yeah. you have to put that picture on. Okay, no, that. I I need to get that out of my head. Uh, Let's talk roadmap. What's next? So you are at beta release Mm -hmm. right now. When is it going to go public? When can more people play with it? And then what's next? Yeah.
1: Well, so yeah, we're in private beta right now. I'm expecting us to release it more publicly this fall, probably August, September area. Uh, We really want to be as responsible as we can with this. We want to make sure our data is as accurate as possible and that the automations we built to scale this are not, you know, flimsy. So we're gonna test it really hard over the course of summer, um, and I'm very excited. A couple of the organizations coming on are uh, near and dear to me. I'll disclose one of them is my old high school, which everyone's like, "What? Why would you? Don't you want to go to like work with Google or LinkedIn or something?" Like, actually, I'm very excited, and here's why: I get to help my old school figure out how to protect the kids back home. And bigger picture here, you know, I know people, I know members of the Department of Education in the state of Nebraska. That's where I'm from, Nebraska. And um, bigger picture here, if, if we can figure this out for a few schools, then we can start to talk about putting this across the state. There would be nothing that would make me happier than to create a service called Data Grade that helps clean up the safety at schools. Uh, that would be so cool. You know, so for me, it's really about finding partners who I can make a big impact with uh, and also have a good journey. You know, we can provide this assessment for the schools and they can leverage the documentation to share with their teachers. They can share it with their students. They can share it with their uh, parents at home. Right. Because they actually have crazy enough to me back home in Nebraska. They have no well, very light compliance obligations uh, in regards to some states, but um, they already built out a whole like blacklist, white list of tools that can be used and what restrictions should be had on them and who they're for and all this. And I was like, wow, you guys just did this out of good spirit. Um, so we can help speed that up for them. We can make sure that data is always real time. We can make sure that they don't have to put it like they literally told me that, like, we're, we're, we're allocating, excuse me, we're allocating an entire team to this. We had to build this custom website. We had to allocate a team to research all these organizations. By the time we got done, it was old. So for us, you know, we can come in, we can help them redo that very quickly, just a bunch of click and drag. And then we maintain it. We make sure that we're always checking to see if that policy is updated. We go see if any of the vendors have changed for all their vendors. We go check and see if any of the terms that they don't have the time to read for, I think they have something like 240 vendors that we had talked about. Uh, they don't have to go and watch their emails for updates. We're going to ping them. You know, every time anything changes uh, and that makes their life easier. It makes their the kids more secure, more privacy protected. And it makes us happy because we get to make it back.
0: That is such an important point because it was not until you started talking through it. that I start thinking back how many tools my kids use. Mm -hmm. at school on a daily basis, just looking at the laptop with everything that's installed Mm -hmm. and all the additional tools, especially after the last few years with COVID, when all of a sudden we just got bombarded with tool after tool after tool. And it does make me wonder how much do people already know about the kids Probably a lot. A lot. Um, and I've heard a so lot. much about me that maybe we have reached a point that we need to put a credit lock on children just to be safe because you don't know what's out there. You don't know who has what. Great. Right? And and that's mm. like an additional layer. This is something that we didn't have to think about before because right. they didn't have all of their information everywhere. Now they have yeah. birthdays, they have names, they have email addresses, they yeah. have Practically everything they have such a rich digital profile, of yep. everything that they do out there. So it's it's one additional thing we need to think about as a parent. Lovely. Um,
1: <laughs> it's yeah. Scary. Well, I was going to say that also. You know, some of the new laws that are coming out. Um, It's going to make that worse, I think, in some senses, at least in the near term, you know, like Utah, just I assume you probably saw the Utah uh, had come out and said, we're going to make it so that kids, uh, I believe it was under 18, uh, have to validate or they can't use social media. Right. And sounds great. And aspirationally, I actually am a big fan of the fact that, like, we're not going to let kids use social media or what I actually think maybe we could think about more is uh, maybe they just don't have smartphones, right? They have phones, they can call home, they need safety, all those things. But maybe they just don't have like smartphones till a certain age. Anyway, um, I think that way, because I've spoken to thousands of parents, families, etc. over the course of the last half decade about all this stuff. And every time I hear a parent say, I want to help, I want to stop my kid from being on the screen all the time. But when I say no, and the parents next door don't, I'm the bad guy. So aspirationally, I think what they're trying to do is great, because then the government's the bad guy. Mom and dad can say, "Hey, you know, we would love to have you have a smartphone, or we would love to have you have social media," but you know, the government says no, so we have to follow the rules. Um, I think I think in part some of that division is what's harming families in the states nowadays, because parents are the bad guys so much nowadays. So I think the aspiration, I really agree with it, but what it also did with this validation is now you're getting. Deeper, more sensitive information about the child to validate who they are, right? That's the flip side. The government hasn't really talked about much, or if they have, maybe it's all internal. Uh, or my bet is they probably just haven't fully thought through that step yet. Just pure like technical ignorance, not that they're trying to be, uh, you know, cause any problems. But yeah, it, it's it's crazy what's out there already. And then if you assume these kind of systems come in play more, uh, perhaps at some point the kids have to validate themselves to their device at school, you know, per se, like, like you just mentioned there, they have all this stuff that eventually they have to require that it's them at school. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen zoom classrooms where they're required to have their camera on, like all these different things that, yeah, it is, it's getting super invasive. So, yeah, you know, again, going back, like I'm super happy to be helping back back home number one and number two at schools. Cause if we can build a model around helping schools, I'd be super happy.
0: I think it's going to be really interesting. And and the point that you just mentioned, um, you know, you can create certain guardrails for your children, but then if their friends are not like that, it's impossible. Like case in mm-hmm. point, um, what age do you give kids a phone? What age do you give them a smartwatch? And and all of these questions. And now there's an additional layer of security. Well, mm-hmm. we don't kind of want them to have something. We want to be able to reach them in case something happens. And and it just becomes it, it becomes 100%. so difficult to figure out what are we supposed to do. It, it's like you can't do this, but you really cannot do that. At, mm-hmm. Back to the farm we go. See, totally, we should find an island. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about something else related to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that that has captured everybody's attention the last few months. Chat GPT and AI. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of talk about whether or not this is a smart tool. This is not a smart tool. We're not going to get into that. I think we both know. But mm-hmm. um, kids, we're talking about it. Um, there are teachers and parents that are worried, well, you know, maybe you really should not use it. Because A, yeah. The information might not be correct. And you really should learn how to write instead of shortcuts. And I remember when the tool came out, my son was curious. He asked me what it was. So I let him do it with me. And he asked about cow eggs, which I'm sure a lot of people have known by now. He asked, you know, which egg is bigger, cow egg or chicken egg. And the tool said cow egg is bigger because a cow is bigger than a chicken. Now, of course. Logically speaking, right. But then, and then, my thirteen-year is like, wait a minute. No, cows do not lay eggs. What? What? What is this thing? And, and mm-hmm. so, it brings a question to you know, it is it is fabricating stuff. People are saying is AI hallucinating, and it brings mm-hmm. into all kinds of questions. And you see different jurisdictions having different ways of mm-hmm. dealing with it. Italy saying no, we're not doing it. Some big tech companies are saying no, we can't because accidentally we use the tool for um, co-checking, that was not mm-hmm. smart. Um, banks are saying, no, we can't because there's all kinds of liability and compliance issues. And lately there's the whole question of, well, do we need to have check and balance to be placed mm-hmm. on such tools from a legal perspective because mm-hmm. it could be harmful or it can discriminate. Curious to hear what your viewpoint is on that because A, it seems, a little bit divisive within the tech community and B yeah. it seems like we all have a different idea of what innovation should be able to do how far it yep. can go and there's also different countries handling it a different way too.
1: Hmm. Yeah I mean this again we could talk about this for the next 45 minutes um, but yeah I mean so I'll take you my history I actually before I left the Valley, I was really focused in on chatbots back then. I won some cans, lines, some Cleos around some of this work. And back then, you know, we were figuring out, like I created a bot that would help people uh, figure out how to you know, vote, what the platforms were, how they navigate their own state, all those things. And back then, I, I remember we were trying to figure out how do we differentiate hi, like hello, from hi, like Hawaii's abbreviation, right? Like that's what it was. Six years ago, right? It's not that far away. So, like, what I tell a lot of people, I have, I have news media organizations reaching out to me. I have government agents reaching out to me asking questions like, what does this mean for our work? How do we protect people? I, I frame it like this. Number one, I believe we have to invest in this. And I'm not just saying chat GPT here. I'm talking generative artificial intelligence. Uh, I believe we have to. We have to do it as responsible as possible because this is a matter of national security, uh, innovative economy, all the things. That being said, I also have my concerns, right? Um, we use chat GPT and day grade, but because of my experience with chat bots and tech, I'm very familiar with like, what is a very safe use case versus what am I just dreaming? You know, um, And so, like on our end, I'll give you an example. We help with, we use it to help with very simple tasks that are more or less binary. I'm not going to trust that ChatGPT is going to output some incredibly specialized, nuanced documentation about legal documents. They can go read and then put it out to a client and it's going to be production quality. I do not trust that. Nobody should. If they're telling you they can do that, they're lying to you. Okay. But it's great for, for example, we have it reading articles and uh pulling out different tags or pieces of information that are very standardized and easy for it to go yes no yes no right um chat GPT is very powerful don't get me wrong I know programmers who are using it to help speed up their programming I've done a little bit of that myself. I do think it's well beyond like a magic eight ball. But in some senses that's what I tell you know these organizations like you got to be really careful because uh the hallucinos the uh, excuse me hallucinated How do I say? Hallucinations. There we go. Take that out. Take that out. The hallucinations. You can't control it. You know, like you don't know what it's actually going to spit out for very common things. It's very accurate for creating rough drafts of like a news article or something. You know, very good. Very good. Go ahead and do that. But end to end, you still have to have humans in the loop. Uh, if it's anything sensitive, be aware. We already seen like Samsung had some issues where their employees put in sensitive information and that got breached. Uh, it's very clear in their terms. that If you put anything into the interface, it's all up for grabs. Uh, the API, I've heard differently. I've read uh, a couple people talking about how actually the API, you do have more control over what is allowed to be used and what's not Um, but still it's it's a high risk it's pretty just like every other tech company is pretty opaque uh, as to what they're doing and you know that that database is from crawling all over the web so whether they curate it or not which they have to let's just be honest they have to curate it somehow because otherwise it would be like tay you know it's been out for what now near six months and it hasn't turned into some racist misogynist kind of thing but it's cause plenty of potential dangers. You know, I wrote an article about how it more or less uh, pushed a young child. Well, let's pull that back. Center of Humane tech ran a test. They signed up as if they were a child and they ran a test to say, Hey, I'm 13 years old. I'm about to have sex for the first time with a stranger. And the bot more or less supported the child in doing so said, here's how you should make the date romantic. Here's how you should do all these things, right? Like that's dangerous. We've had these, uh, uh, breaches here like i like i just said with multiple companies entering sensitive information because they're trying to speed up the processes and then realizing oh crap i put in like highly sensitive confidential company information into the system that is allowed to read whatever comes in um proprietary code samples have caught through that they could you know leak some of that stuff it's just you got to be really careful with it and ultimately i think people if they don't understand it well enough they really need to talk to somebody who does who does understand it before they get too deep into it. Otherwise it's going to cause a lot of chaos. That's hard to clean up because the whole purpose of ChatGPT is to scale everything, right? Like that's what everyone's like, okay, I could just let it do the work for me, which is wonderful if it worked a hundred percent of the time, but I have big fears that we're going to start seeing it integrated into a bunch of different parts of the world and just let go wild. And then three, six months, 12 months later, We're all going to look back and say, oh, crap, actually, it's been six months of this and we have a lot of stuff to clean up. That was there's a lot of false information that came out and you can't pull that back. You know, like once it's there, it's out.
0: I think that's my biggest worry, too. It's not like the old days, right? You printed newspapers out and you say okay i'm just going to bring the newspapers back no once information is out in the internet it is out and is mm-hmm. out forever you cannot crawl it back and yep. there's part of me that feels that that thinks that some of these companies with a lot of resources let's not name names but companies with a lot of resources they have the responsibility to make sure that they're not putting something that's half-baked out there because you can put all yeah. kinds of dec- disclaimers you want to said, well, you know, FYI, use this tool, you know, yeah. proceed with caution, but we are not taking accountability mm-hmm. for anything because this isn't beta. No, 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 no. You are a big right. company with a lot of resources. You know what this mm-hmm. tool can do. And you should have had been a little bit more responsible before releasing it out in the wild. Not saying you need to stop innovating, but there are guardrails.
1: 100%. Yeah, the Forbes post I I wrote about this, I actually said, we should treat this as if it's the Manhattan Project 2.0. Yes. Because it is that, you know, it's it's not nuclear bomb where we're going to go drop this on somebody and it's going to explode their city. But it's very realistic that if this goes wrong, it can go very wrong. And we need to have government support. I think the craziest part, and I've talked to my parents about this, other people in my local community, like the craziest part to me is that this is all from private businesses. right? Like this is not Manhattan Project. That was from the government. All the innovation used to come out of the government, then 10, 15 years later, go out to the public. Now it's the inverse. Our corporations are ahead of the government. And we need somehow to create a partnership that doesn't stifle that innovation because we don't we don't want to, like, press the halt button. We don't want to press the pause button. We want to take things as responsible we can. But Manhattan Project was the first large scale R&D project by the United States government. They allocated a bunch of time and money. They got all the best professionals in the country to come align on an issue and figure it out as if it were critical to the survival of humanity. Right. Why don't we do that now? Why don't we? I know we're bickering about a lot of other things and we have plenty of important issues. Don't get me wrong, but there's a real potential that if we don't resolve this responsibly, all those other issues go out the window because we won't be able to tell what's true and false. We may have machines that are doing things to machines that we can't control. We may have content coming out that is proliferated beyond anything we could ever imagine in our lifetime. And There's not much of a way to stop it because it's some individual sitting off in a basement in the middle of nowhere. We couldn't even find them, you know, using a VPN, whatever it is, to skirt all the laws, all the rules. Uh, It's time that we take this serious. Multiple other countries are already either investing in AI very heavily or, as we've talked about today, creating significant guardrails to it. United States more or less has not. I think now is our time to step up as a nation and take this five, 10 years of sitting in the middle of limbo and say, okay, we've learned a lot. Now's the time to take action. So let's do this.
0: I agree. I, I cannot agree more. This is the time to take action because I think the repercussions of laissez-faire uh, policy mm-hmm. is it, not going to work. Uh, not with this. And mm-hmm. um, and incentives are not aligned, right? When you have private corporations, <laughs> Running after this technology, their incentive and what drives them are going to be very different than if we were to come from a partnership with investment from the government that Mm -hmm. perhaps hopefully we can use the technology for good instead of leaving something in the the hands of just a powerful few. Um, So let's keep our fingers crossed past um yep. but i think it might really still be time to start looking for a private island um, with that being said before i let you go joe where can people find out more about about your product um that will come out in a few months hopefully
1: Yeah. Uh, They can all go to datagrade.com. No funky spelling, no missed vowels. It's all just as it's supposed to be, datagrade.com. I was just as astounded as you are hearing that, that that was available still, but I got it. Um, And yeah, just go ahead and click the beta access, put your name in there, and we will reach out soon. We're accepting entries on a rolling basis, but definitely trying to keep it a controlled audience so that we can uh, provide the highest level quality assurance and also. Service in terms of you know helping you actually figure stuff out—that's our goal.
0: That's awesome, thank you. And then in the meantime, I'll look for your next article on Forbes. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. Insightful. I'm going to look for the third one. I'm greedy now, so let let's let's find time to to touch base when you tool is out um, in the open in the fall of this year. Thank you so yeah. much for joining us again. And for the rest of our audience, thank you for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you next week.